This past week, it was my privilege to teach four-year-olds through 12-year-olds the prophet Jeremiah. And uh, I will tell you, unless any of you have taught four-year-olds through 12-year-olds, it's a challenge for a person who's used to teaching adults. As I went through that class, I read the book of Jeremiah through several times. And in reading through this book, I realized the importance of teaching this not only to the children, but teaching some of the lessons to the adults as well. This morning, I want to take a portion of chapter 6, particularly I want to take one verse, and I'd like for us to study that. But before we do, I want to justify the reason why we're going to study the prophet Jeremiah. As you start looking at the Bible, you have to realize how relevant it is to each and every one of us. Each of us need to have the Bible at the forefront of our lives. And many people will say, but those men who lived during the time of the prophets, they lived 3,000 years ago. What would they have to say that could have any meaning to my life today? If you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Solomon says, That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. So many of us look at our modern age with our modern conveniences, many of the things that we enjoy, and we tend to think how enlightened we are. But do you realize that each of us struggle with the same problems that the people did in the day of Jeremiah? We all struggle with problems in our families. We all struggle with sickness and sorrow. We all struggle with one common denominator, sin. When you go to Jeremiah 10 and verse 23, Jeremiah makes a very important observation. He said, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not a man who walks to direct his own steps. The truth is, If you really want to be honest, there's not a one of us here smart enough, intelligent enough, wise enough to say, here is what I ought to do in every situation in life. Each of us needs God's direction. And God has provided direction throughout the history of man to various individuals in how to deal with the problems of life. He did that With Moses, he did that with Elijah and Elisha. He did that with the prophets like Jeremiah. And he did that with the apostles of the New Testament. The common denominator that we all struggle with is sin. When Paul wrote the book of Romans in chapter 3 beginning with verse 9, he asked the question to the Jewish population, What are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. 
As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all become altogether become unprofitable. There is no one who does good, no, not one. The reality is, from what Paul observed, is that you and I, each of us, really have a sin problem. With that in mind, the messages of the prophets are particularly helpful. What I hope to demonstrate for you this morning is is that as we look at chapter 6 and verse 16, we're going to see four separate things just in verse 16. Stand in the ways and see. Ask for the old paths. Walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's begin with that first idea, stand in the ways and see. The idea of a way is a pathway, a road, a highway, if you will. And many times we come to crossroads in life. And here we can choose to go to the left, we can choose to go to the right, we can choose to go straight ahead, or even possibility we can turn around and go the way that is behind us. But what God is expecting of us is that we be observant as we look down each of these pathways that we're faced with and what is going to be the end result of the path we take. One of my favorite poems from high school was a poem by Robert Frost called Two Roads. Two Roads diverged into a yellow woods, and I I took the road less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. You stand in the ways, and you see, and when you see, you will look, and you will find a number of people going down one pathway. That's the majority And God expects us not to blindly follow the crowd. Oh, that's so easy. Everybody starts wearing a certain kind of clothes, and you know what we do? We wear that same kind of clothes. People start following after certain things. We we don't want to be different. We don't want to be odd. We want to go along with the majority. And in Exodus chapter 23, verse 2, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute against, so as to turn aside many to pervert justice. You don't follow the crowd. The masses are going the wrong way. Occasionally, if you're at a Maybe, for instance, going down a road and you'll look and you'll see people turning and going the wrong way. Uh, I know occasionally when I'm going downtown, I'll know this people will see Morford Street and Main Street and I see somebody coming toward me on uh, right in front of McMinnville Electric Service and I think they're going the wrong way. They don't know it. Do you realize that the Bible gives the picture that the majority of the people are going wrong? Matthew 7, verse 13, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in it. Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. The number of people going the wrong way is the majority. So that means that I have to test myself. Am I going the right way? 
In the book of 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or you go to Psalm 119 verse 59. I thought about my ways and I turned my feet to your testimonies. David said, I looked and saw what direction I was going. And do you know what direction David had been going? David had been gratifying the flesh. He had been choosing to do what made him feel good. And David recognized the error of that kind of thinking. He said, I thought about my ways and I turned to your testimonies. It's so easy for us to deceive ourselves into thinking, hey, I'm, I'm all right. I'm going the right way. But you know, as you go to Proverbs 16, verse 25, Solomon says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Okay, I've got a path to the left, a path to the center, a path to the right, and what if I take this path to the left? It ends in death. But what if I think I'm okay on that road? What if I look around and there's a lot of other people on that road with me? You see, I've got to make sure I am standing in the ways and seeing. Galatians 6, 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. I want to go down the right pathway. Well, now I'm standing at the pathway and standing at the crossroads and I'm looking at the religious world. And what do I see? What do you see? When you look not at the, the heathen, the pagans, the people who are atheists, the agnostics, I'm talking about when you look at religious people like Jeremiah was. You know, remember, as Jacob read to us just a few moments ago, he says, from the prophet to the priest, everyone rules falsely. What do you see in the religious realm? Well, the first thing you see is pluralism. What does that mean? That means you pick your own God. You choose who it is you want to worship. Jeremiah eleven thirteen. For according to the number of your cities were your gods, O Judah, and according to the number of your streets of Jerusalem, you have set up altars for the shameful thing, or to the shameful thing, altars that burn ints to Baal. He said, just like you can count the number of cities, there's the number of gods. Do you know that in our country today, religiously, we have Hindus, we have Buddhists, we have Muslims, we have all sorts of odd religions. And people will say, oh, now don't criticize anybody else's religion. And then you take all the multiplicity of man-made denominations and it appears that everybody is saying, attend the church or synagogue of your choice. Go to the religious house of worship that you choose as if there's no difference whatsoever. That's the world in which we live. You look and those who do worship the God of the Bible, many of them are offering unacceptable worship. And you say, well, how do you know their worship is unacceptable to God? Because he said so. 
When Jesus spoke in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, he said, These people draw near to me with their lips, or with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. God said when people decide they want to worship me their way rather than my way, that's a vain worship. It means nothing. No value, no benefit. That means if this morning I decide I want to create my own design of worship and offer it to God, God said, I'm not going to accept it. It's vain to me. In Colossians 2 and verse 23, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion and false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. When you see that word self-imposed religion in the New King James, it literally, as the older translations put it, is will worship. Sometimes people don't grasp the meaning of that. The will is my will. The worship that I design. And it does have an appearance. There are people today who say, oh, I love that service. I get so much enthusiasm, so much encouragement out of it. You do? But does it please God? He said these things have no value against the indulgence of the flesh. My plans are in a couple of weeks to preach a few lessons from the book of Hosea. been working on these lessons since January. And the book of Hosea has so many aspects to it. But chapter 5 and verse 11 says, Ephraim is oppressed. And broken in judgment because he willingly walked by a human precept. He was willing to say, I I don't really care what God says. I love this. I want to do this. As you stand in the way and see, that's what you're observing. Let me tell you something else you're observing. Of those who are Christians... Those who are part of God's family. There's some disobedient disciples. People who are saying, I'm going to do what I want to. Matthew 7 and verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. He goes on to explain, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, you know what? Lord, Lord, won't get it. Saying it won't get you there. Now, let me give you some current, just one current example. I've thought about several, but let me just give you one. Some of you may have noticed the news over the past couple of weeks. The Pope of the Roman Catholic Church has decided he was going to go to the country of Brazil. And he came up with a new idea. He said, any of you young people who want to follow me on Twitter or the other social media, I'm going to grant you indulgences. Do you know what that means? Now, I don't want to oversimplify, but it means basically a pre-forgiven sin. Just like back during the Reformation when they attacked the Catholic Church for the sale of indulgences. 
Oh, you're going to go to Brazil. You follow the Pope on Twitter. And if you commit fornication, that's just sort of going to be forgiven in advance. You go get drunk. Oh, that's forgiven in advance. That makes a mockery. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, and proclaim this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you Judah uh, who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Now listen carefully to this last part. If you don't get any of the rest of the lesson, get this part. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we're delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. Folks, don't fool yourself. You can't stand and say, I am going to sin, I'm going to lie, I'm going to cheat, I'm going to worship other gods, and somehow think that that pathway leads to heaven. Stand in the ways and see. Then ask for the old past. You mean something old? You want, you want to go back to something old? Yes. You see, the Israelites were pointed backwards to the law of Moses. Isaiah 8 and verse 20, To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. Or you go to Malachi 4 and verse 4, Remember the law of Moses. What's he doing? He's saying, go back to the law. Go back to the law. Find your pattern there. What's sad is today there's a lot of people who say, oh, we want to go back to the good old days. You know the Lord's Church in the 1950s was one of the fastest growing religions in the United States. And that was a nostalgic time for a lot of people. They say, oh man, if I could just go back to the 50s when the church was growing and the buildings were being built because we were growing so fast... That's not far enough back. Other people would say, I want to go back to the early 1800s, late 1700s, when there were men beginning to say, you know what, I want to go and follow just the Lord alone. I don't want to follow after this denomination or that denomination. And, I want, and they will go back and they'll say, look at men like Alexander Campbell and Barton W. Stone and Raccoon John Smith. 
That's not far enough back. We need to go all the way back to the New Testament pattern where we have inspired men who directed us how we ought to worship. You see, God expected Moses to follow the pattern that was given him. Hebrews 8 and verse 5, in the middle of verse, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. That's when he was making the tabernacle. And you realize that God expects us to follow his pattern as well? Romans chapter 6, verse 17 says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obey from the heart that form or that pattern of doctrine to which you were delivered. That means that there's a pattern for salvation. Hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized are all revealed in the book of Acts. There's a pattern for church organization. Philippians 1 and verse 1, Paul addresses the letter to the Philippians with the bishops and the deacons. There's a pattern for worship. The singing, the praying, the giving, the partaking of the Lord's Supper and the study of His Word. This is the good way. Ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? Well, let's don't lose the next part and walk in it. Is it important to know the right things? Absolutely. Is it important to know what is right versus what is wrong? If I'm standing here and there's a pathway to the left, a pathway in the center, and a pathway to the right, and I also can turn around and go backwards, and I know which one of those paths leads to righteousness, leads to eternal life, let me ask you a question. If I know it, but I don't follow the right path, will it do me any good? James 1, says this, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. And he observes himself and goes away and forgets immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. James 2, verses 14 through 17. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And then he goes on to say, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things needed for the body, what? does it profit thus also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead you see you can't just say I know what to do you've got to do it John 13 17 Jesus said if you know these things blessed are you if you do them there is a right path and a wrong path and you've got to walk down the correct path going back to Jeremiah Jeremiah 18 15 God said through Jeremiah, Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to worthless idols, and have not caused themselves to stumble in or have caused themselves to stumble in their ways. 
from the ancient past to walk in pathways and not on a highway. These people are stumbling the wrong way, folks. Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Last Sunday during the class, we studied from the book of Proverbs. There was a passage in there that I did not get to go to, but one that I felt was really needed, so I brought it into this lesson. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 10. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you. To deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who lead the paths of uprightness, to walk in ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and whose are devious in their paths. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you and understanding will keep you. Now, I want you to notice verse 20. So you may walk in the way of goodness and keep the paths of righteousness. Then, he says, you will find rest for your souls. See, if you're on the right path, you do the right thing, you're going to end up in the right place. He's asking the people to stand in the ways and see the choices. Ask for the old paths and which is the good way and walk therein. And the rest is there. Listen to Jesus early in his ministry saying, Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, or gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Or listen to Revelation 14, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from now on, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works follow them. Or consider Hebrews 4, verse 1. And really, I suggest you read all of Hebrews 4 because he says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. He goes on to say, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Of course, here's the reality some people don't listen. You can preach your heart out. You can scream. You can holler. For years and years, decades, as did Jeremiah. Isaiah 28 and verse 12. To whom he said, This is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. Do you know what the response was in Jeremiah 6 and verse 17? We will not walk therein. We're not going to go that direction. We need to be people seeking the old paths. 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except through Him. Now I want to end with a passage of Acts 24, verse 14. One of the things that you will observe as you study the book of Acts is that those who became obedient to the faith were spoken of as following the way. But I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all the things that are written in the law and in the prophets. This morning, I think there's a great lesson from the book of Jeremiah. What a powerful lesson it is for us to look at the paths that we're choosing. Now here's how you make it practical. Are you in, as the song says, the glory land way? Are you walking the path of righteousness? If you are not a Christian, if you've not yet believed, repented, confessed, and been baptized, you're not on the way yet. What could we say to appeal to your desire this morning to want you to make that decision, to make that choice? Now, folks, the majority of us here are Christians. And one of the things that I have observed from the prophets is that so many of God's people were just living lives as if there was no worry about tomorrow. And then when punishment came upon them, they were like, why did that happen? You can't say, just like the people of Judah couldn't say, nobody ever told me. God said, I sent my servants the prophets. According to the design of the New Testament, God intended that his message be preached among all nations. If you are not ready to meet the Lord and you're not on the glory land way, would you respond as we stand and say?